0: morning. We are in Genesis eleven this morning. And if you remember we've been talking about how uh, how in Genesis one through eleven it, it kind of lays the foundation for us as, as believers. It uh uh, for the rest of the Bible, and everything that we believe has been kind of laid down here in these first 11 chapters, from creation to the uh, creation of the universe, to fall of man, to the flood, and, and the Tower of Babel, kind of in that Tower of Babel. And we just came out of, you know, Noah and the flood, and all that happened, and all the people are kind of grouping together, and not really splitting apart like the Lord asked them to do. So Genesis 11, and if I get off, you're gonna have to tell me, because I don't have Monitors. one of the things were changing. So um, Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found the plain of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build, a, uh, build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. In other words, we will be scattered over the face of the of the whole earth." Now as we talked about last week, we can't really understand the story without understanding the person Nimrod. And what was going on with that? The leader that led them to to build this uh, not only this city but but multiple cities. He, he was a he was a warrior who uh, who who fought against men. Not you know he hunted down uh, men. He was he was a mighty warrior. So people automatically you know, you know he probably he was probably tall and he probably had that voice. You know that voice that everybody you know commands the room whenever they start talking. Everybody automatically listens. It doesn't matter if the person is wise or not, but they got that deep presence voice. You know? So that's, I could imagine him being like that. And we were introduced to him in chapter 10. He was the son of Cush. And, uh, you know, he was really what I like to call the first cult leader in history. He was a mighty man that, that hunted down the souls of man, and, in a sense, in a defiance of the Lord. And, and they followed a philosophy that went against God. And completely against God. And it, start, it was started by Satan. It was handed down uh, through different men. And, and it started really in Babel, and which eventually became Babylon. And it's really the place that all cult religions got its start. Verse 5, it goes on and says, But the Lord came down to see a city and the, and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, and who's the us? The Trinity here. Let us go down and confuse their language so that uh, they will not understand each other. So the Lord uh, scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth." so this false religion that started in babel spread all over the world because now you have all these people taking this philosophy and what do you do when you move now when i moved from texas did the 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 texan in me go away no absolutely not my accent might have changed if i when i get back from fishing i'll be talking all my texas and oklahoma relatives while I'm fishing and I'll come back and I'll probably be speaking an accent for a good two weeks before it goes away again. You know what I'm saying? But when we move, we take all those things that we've learned with us. And the languages were confused and it spread out over the whole world and they took it with them. And Babel was kind of still a a central city and eventually it was finished and became a huge force in the world for a long time. And during the tribulation period, everything will go back to this philosophy. Everything will go back to this the city in fact in revelation 175 uh, it talks about the mystery babylon it says the name written on her forehead was a mystery babylon the great the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth i saw the woman who was uh, or woman was drunk with the blood of the holy uh, god's holy people the blood of those who bore testimony to jesus so god will finally judge the system that was started literally at the Tower of Babel. And it never stopped. It started in Babylon. And Babylon is called the Great Mother of Prostitutes. This means she birthed all these false religions against God. Now let me give you some historical background because I know you probably don't study this stuff like I do. I love history. I love studying all the little nuances and all that kind of stuff. So I'll just give you some of of what I've learned here. And then I'll show you what I mean by it still being around today. Nimrod had a uh, had a wife named Simeris uh, or Simi- I don't know it's it's a long name it's hard to pronounce uh, uh, but uh, she was a high priestess and of this mystery of Babylon religion and she claimed a son was miraculously conceived by a sunbeam okay so the you know that he was virgin born that this child was a child, was the son of God, the sun god, okay? And born around the, uh, born around the time of the winter solstice, uh, solstice, and his name was Tammuz, okay? So you kind of get the picture of how Satan's trying to usurp what, god, is, what god has already foretold was to happen. You know, the son of God coming to the earth, all this kind of stuff that, that God predicted, and Satan's trying to slip in there and confuse everybody. So this is why she's often pictured. Um, if you go back and study about her, with the sun behind her, because she was the mother of the sun god. Later, it was reinterpreted by the church to show glory, In other words, a halo. Okay, you see, you go back and you look at old uh, first century, second century, third century uh, pictures of the apostles. What do they have behind their head? A halo. Okay, or over their head. This is kind of where it started. It started with her son. It was a worship of, of him at the center of everything. When he became an adult, legend says that he was hunting, he was gored by a wild boar, and he died. His mother fasted for 40 days, and then he was resurrected. This became the basis of what uh, we call Lent today, the whole fasting for 40 days uh, before Easter. So we see how these things have been brought into the church. And I'm going to be talking about some of these things. Do I think they're necessarily um, bad to do? No, I don't think they're necessarily bad to do, but I think we need to have an understanding where they came from. You know, I think it's good for us to take the things of the world and turn them into the things of God, okay, Uh, as long as we understand that. Uh, It's like the world's trying to take our rainbow and make it mean something else, right? They pretty much accomplished that. We need to go back and take that back and say, no, that's the promise of God that He wouldn't destroy the world. That's a beautiful thing. And it's of God, it's not of this world. So you can see how that happens there. But, uh, uh, you know, these sayings are, are coming in there. But we brought this culture into the church. Later, the, uh, you know, the followers celebrated Tammuz's birth. On what day? Anyone want to gander a guess? Oh, come on, people. Christmas, thank you. They, December 25th. That's when they worship the sun god, Okay. So, again, uh, it was right after the winter solstice, the sun was reborn in a sense. That's what their philosophy was. The longer days were starting, and they would light what kind of logs in the fireplace? Yule logs. Yule logs. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. The word Yule means infant in the Chaldean. In the Chaldean, it's a Chaldean word meaning infant. So the children went to bed on the twenty fourth with a Yule log in the fireplace, and on the next morning the children would wake up, and there would be a tree brightly decorated that just magically appeared. How that happened, the parents put it up. Okay, that's how that happens. But um, it symbolizes light, and as the centuries progressed. The traditions changed as different people groups got a hold of it, and finally it got up to the Norse country, and the Norse people started decorating evergreen trees because it's a symbol of perpetual light. Why is that? It's the only thing that lasts through the wintertime in the Norse country, and, you know, that evergreen and in the, in the snow and all that. So to celebrate him, in other words, Tammuz, being resurrected after being gored by the boar, so you have the celebration of his birth, and then you have this, uh, the celebration of him being resurrected. This all, they all started decorating eggs. You see where I'm going here? They started decorating eggs, and they celebrated a, in a feast uh, in the spring, known as the Feast of Eshtar, with rabbits and other things that celebrated and lo, it took the view of fertility. And this was to celebrate Tammuz and his resurrection. So when uh, when S- Mer- uh, I can't even died so when his mother died she was given the title queen of heaven. So this is where the Babylonian cult of this mother child cult thing came along. Her some uh, her son Tammuz Tammuz was a false uh, messiah in our view and they believed that he would be the fulfillment of what God said to Eve in the garden. Now remember Satan's plans were destroyed in the flood. He had corrupted society. We talked about that, how society was, was totally corrupted, both animal kingdom and man and, and so forth, and how God destroyed all that. So now his plan was to pretend to be the Messiah promise. In other words, to send people on the wrong path to the false Messiah. It became known as Mystery Babylon. So when the languages were confused, they took this mother-child cult with them, okay? So in Phoenicia, the mother was called Asterith, and her son was called Bel. And we've studied many times the worship of Bel in the Bible, haven't we? It's the same thing, just in a different culture because they took it with them. In Egypt, the mother was Isis, and the child was Horus. In Greece, the, the, the mother is Aphrodite, and the child is Eros, in Romans, the mother was Venus, and the child was Cupid. In India, the mother was Iz, and the child was Asarara. So later, when Rome was Christianized under the emperor Constantine... The mother was Mary and the child was Jesus. They took historical figures and said, well, how can we unite the kingdom? Well, our kingdom already celebrates these things, so let's put Mary in that position, let's put Jesus in that position. And there are a number of places where you see the Jews worship several of these different cults when they rebelled against God. Ezekiel the you know, prophesied during the Babylonian captivity. And he's protesting his people crying out over, over uh, you know, Tammuz. And in Ezekiel 8.13, God is talking to Ezekiel, or, uh, talking to Ezekiel in Babylon. He, he took him on a tour to see what was going on. And the temple hadn't been destroyed yet. And it says, you will see them go, doing things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. I saw a woman sitting there mourning the god Tammuz. So if you keep reading, God shows in Ezekiel 25 that men are in the temple area, are facing east, worshiping the sun god with their backs to the temple. So this is what I'm talking about, how they've taken this, this false religion and tried to put it into the worship of the one true God and how evil it was and how bad it was. Eastern mysticism coming into the worship of God. We're coming to a time where this is coming back and kind of being repackaged for us. This biblical Christianity, and you, 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 you have other practices that are coming into it. You have meditation practices being called prayer techniques. I, I'm a big fan of prayer, okay? But we have to be careful on how far we take some of these techniques and putting them into prayer. You have trans, uh, you know, transcendental uh, meditation, contemplative prayer and centering prayers and breath prayers and repeating mantras to zero yourself so you can speak with God. You've got to empty your mind for God to be able to speak to you. That's a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. You need to throw that out the window. Prayer is not complicated. You pray, you talk to God, and then you be quiet and you listen for God's response and you don't go with any other direction on this. Jeremiah mentions Israel making cakes for this queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her. This is not good when we bring cults into the church. What is interesting is the the Catholic church has a has a teaching that is not biblical. Where they say that Mary didn't die that God took her to heaven. That is not in the Bible. And they gave her a crown and called her the queen of heaven. And we, we go, where do they get all that stuff? And then we read in Jeremiah 7:18, how God denounces this very thing. He says. The children gathered wood, and the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough and make the cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to the other gods to arouse my anger. But am I the only, uh, the one they are provoking? Declares the Lord. Are they not rather hammering or harming themselves to their own shame? Jeremiah forty four seventeen. Jeremiah was prophesying. Uh, right before Israel was judged, God sent Jeremiah to try them to try to turn them back from the Babylonian ways, and he sent Jeremiah to them, and, and they didn't listen to him. They were very immoral, and they had these wicked, uh, wick, you know, wicked uh, uh, idolatrous things going on. And Jeremiah is telling them to repent. He says. Well, we, we will certainly do everything we said we would. We will burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her just as we and our, and our ancestors. Our kings and our officials did in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. At that time, we had plenty of food and we were well off and suffered no harm. In other words, he went to them and said, repent. And they said, well, wait a second. When we were doing all these things for this other God, times were great. We had money in our pocket. Things were just moving along. We, you know, every, no one, it was easy for everybody. But ever since, in verse 18, we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings, or we have had nothing and have been been perishing by sword and famine. The women added, when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings, sir, did not our husbands know that we were making cakes, uh, know that we were making cakes and pressed with her image and pouring out drink offerings to her. See, the husbands were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the house. And they were letting them do it. And they said, well, ever since we stopped, nothing but problems. And God finally said, enough is enough. And they repented. But the discipline, as it was running its course... It was being interpreted as the queen of heaven is punishing us for not worshiping her. You see how we can twist these things up? This is exactly what's happening here. God is a good God. God is a kind God. But he doesn't let us live in sin forever. When he finally has enough. See, we think things are going great. We're in the middle of sin other people don't even know. God doesn't even know. Things seem to be working out fine. And then finally says, enough is enough. And God pulls you back and makes you miserable until you turn back to him. And you're in the middle of the discipline. You're like, well, when I finally stopped doing whatever this was, look at what happened to my life. Hmm. See, for a time it'll be okay, but eventually discipline does come. Every parent knows that, right? See, the worship of Baal in the promised land was the same. It was worshiping Tammuz. It was all counterfeit worship. The pagan high priest in Babylon called himself the Pontitif Maximus, the supreme bridge builder between their God and their people. Later on, when Babylon was in ruins, the central area of worship changed to Pegamis. it's one of the churches that, uh, that, you know, that John writes to in Revelations. In Revelations 2.12 it says, These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live where Satan has his house. So we started in Babylon. It was the religious system found by the devil there. And, you know, he ripped off the idea of the Messiah and corrupted the world. And the you know the pagan high priest called himself the Ponti, Pont, uh, Pont I can't even say it Pontifex Maximus and, and um, when the Rome you know rose the power the priest migrated to Rome why well you follow the money and the power right and somewhere around 378 A.D. Uh, you know and let's look at church history at this point from 313 A.D. to 600 A.D the beginning of the Roman Empire was kind of in decline, and Diocletian was, uh, you know, was the emperor at the time, and, and the power struggle between two generals. One was Constantine, and another was uh, uh, M-A-X-S-Y-C-H-I-O-U-S, you pronounce it, uh, Max, uh, Maxius, yeah. So Constantine's father prospered, when he prayed to the Christian God. In other words, they prayed to all these different gods. But Constantine's father finally kind of, you know, prospered when he prayed for this uh, Christian God. And all of a sudden, Constantine started doing the same. So he supposedly saw a vision of a flaming cross in the sky. And, you know, it was a, he took it as a sign that he was going to be the victor. And he won the battle. And he immediately declared his conversion to Christ. He still worshipped the sun god, and never gave any evidence whatsoever that he really truly became a Christian. But this is the amazing thing about God. God will use non-Christian people and non-Christian entities and governments to do his bidding. That's an amazing thing to me. But God was using this. this he, Constantine assumed the head of the church taking the title of what? Pontitif. Maximus. See, the the emperor was first called, uh, he was the first one that was ever called the Victor of Christ, a title inherited by all the popes when Rome, you know, when the Roman Empire kind of disintegrated. It's still called the, if I'm pronouncing it right, the Pontitif, uh, Pontitif Maximus to this day, the Pope. Constantine recalled all the laws against Christians. In other words, all those things, that you can go out there and kill them, you can put, do all these things. He, he, he replaced all those laws with an edict of tolerance, which for, forbid the persecution of Christians. And then he gave them places, you know, prominent places in government, in, in, in the Roman government. And Christianity is now the religion of Rome. In other words, the state married the church. He Christianized paganism. He turned their holidays into Christian holidays. December 25th was the sun god. Now it's for for the birth of Christ. Constantine tried to blend it together to keep everyone happy. This is what we do when we compromise, right? We blend it all together and try to make everybody happy. And then he combined the celebration of Eshtar with the Jewish celebration of Passover with the celebration of Christ's resurrection all into one time. That's what he tried to do. Uh, You know, trying to please everyone. Pergamos uh, means mixed or objectionable marriage. That's exactly what happened here. A blending of the church and the state. Now, before you think I'm just up here Catholic bashing, uh, the mystery Babylon religion is much broader than just the Catholic church. I'm not just saying, oh, that's it. Okay. Mr. Babylon was, a, was around a way before the Catholic Church ever came to be. And, the, you know, it'll be there in the end. And the Roman Catholic Church is, is not a cult in the traditional sense. A cult takes away from Christ, takes away from His deity, takes away from His bodily resurrection. The Catholic Church does not do this. The Catholic Church has, a, you know, a lot of wonderful people there. Many are genuine Christians. But the Catholic Church... Doesn't, while it doesn't take away from Christ, what do they do? They add to it. They add all these things to it. All this stuff to God, all this stuff to Christ. How? Well, Roman Catholic theology. We're saved by grace plus works. Okay? It's saved by grace, but you've got to do all these works to get that. They define grace as Works. Every time you go to Mass or something like that, you earn an installment of grace in their teaching. And all this gets saved up, and if you get enough in life, then you'll be covered and you go to heaven. If not, I'm sorry, you get to go to purgatory, which is not in the Bible. You, you try to find it in the Bible. It is not there. It's not biblical. But you can go to purgatory in their teaching and then get to go to heaven after a certain period of time. The Catholic Church does teach some good stuff, but they also teach some bad stuff right along with it. The Roman Catholic Church to me is a false religious system rooted in a lot of good things. But they went astray a long time ago. Started out great, but then they kind of veered off into all these different teachings where, where if I, you know, if Joe was a family member of mine over here and he had already passed away and I still wanted him to go to heaven, but but he wasn't a Christian, I could pay, and then Joe's spirit would get to go to heaven. That is not biblical. We don't see that. But they still teach it and they taught it for a long time. I do think the Roman Catholic Church will have a role in the end, in Revelations, by bringing people of all faiths together. And we're kind of already seeing that. You know, like the coexist bumper sticker. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen those? Can't we, you know, the, the statement can't we all just get along? I mean, we already see the Pope doing this in in several different ways. Climate change? He's dealing with climate change. He multiple statements about climate change, yet has he dealt with clergy abuse? No. It's a sad state in the church. (laughs) See, I I believe the Antichrist will use them in the end and eventually get people to worship in in a new religion with the Antichrist being the one worshipped in Revelation 17-18. We've talked about that a little bit. So while the the Catholic Church is not Antichrist, I think they'll be involved in that at some point. Uh, John Paul II started this already, addressed 1,500 leaders of different religions, and at the prayer meeting said this, we can no longer, he basically was talking about the, we can no longer bear the, uh, the scandal of division. and In other words, all religions must come together. In 2002, he called a, a meeting for peace and had all these different religions come together and all these different leaders that were there. And at the meeting, Jesus' name was not even mentioned once. You can go back and look at the transcripts. And all Christian symbols were covered up lest we offend somebody from that symbol. And here's a quote from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church rejects nothing what is true and holy in other religions. Their doctrine often reflects a ray of truth which enlightens all men. Let Christians preserve and encourage the spiritual and moral truths found among non-Christians. They're sounding more and more like, a you know, the like a mother church of a one-world religion. When asked if you could still get to heaven without Jesus, a Nigerian cardinal answered this, expressly, yes, God grants salvation includes not only Christians but Jews, Muslims, Hindus, and, and people of good will. Wow, forget the Great Commission. Just be good. Just be good. So live your, your whole life wondering, am I good enough? But in reality, we know that we're not good enough, right? Because we're a sinful people. And that's why he just says, accept, accept and follow me. They just believe everyone will get there. John Paul gathered leaders from all the religions, including Wicca, to pray together. Now, do you know what Wicca is? Satan worship. They have priests and priestesses of Satan worship come join them to pray to God. So you see what I'm saying when they've gone off the rails. Then he said that they were all praying to the same God and credited their prayer to generating profound spiritual uh, energies that would create a new climate for peace. This sounds like very new agey kind of stuff, and it's happening right there. A new consciousness, if you will. So we see all this stuff out there. The belief system is already kind of being in place. And, you know, during these times that God judged his people, there were those who were were going to temple but not really going to temple. You know, I used to have a coach, and I've mentioned this a couple of times when I was an athletic trainer at University of Houston. He'd be out there, and he'd just be screaming at the, the football guys, you're running, but you're really not running. Okay, in other words, your heart's not into it. You're not doing the job. And this is, this is people going to the temple, this is people going to the church that really aren't going. Yeah, physically they're there, but mentally they're not. Just playing lip service to their beliefs. We see this today in every, every religion, not just the Catholic you know, belief system. People will go, but God knows the heart, so we have to watch out for the heart. So let us come and truly worship the Lord and Savior. Let us truly come and get to know God. That's what's important, and it should be reflected in our private lives. It should be reflected in our jobs that we go to. It should be reflected in our marriage and how we treat our mate. doesn't mean we don't disagree, but how do we disagree? And what do we say to each other when we do disagree? That's a huge thing. It should be reflected in how we go out and have fun. It should be reflected when we go to school, what we truly believe. See, church does not protect us from the judgment of our actions right here on this earth. Believe in Jesus protects us from going to hell. But our actions will still be judged here on earth in how we act and what we say we believe compared to how our lives really are unless we repent and go in a different direction for our actions. Don't think that calling ourselves Christians and coming to church every now and then will protect us. The question is, do you truly believe or not? And if you say yes, does your everyday actions reflect those beliefs? Hmm. Now again, we all mess up, don't we? Every single one of us. So don't think, oh, high and mighty aliens up there, you know, pointing the finger. No, I'm not trying to say that. We mess up. And that's why God says, repent. Come to me and confess and then change your ways. And we ask for his strength in doing that. We see this in many churches many churches of people not following what they say they believe, which will lead. So during the end times, acceptance of all religions under one religion, saying, every route will get you to God. Hmm. See, the Bible calls it a harlot, doesn't even call it a church. They will rally behind the final Babylon and rally behind the harlot, as it says in Revelation 17, 1-5. It is described as the world being intoxicated by the Antichrist. A lust for worshiping the Antichrist and a hatred for the one true God. It's spiritual prostitution. Cheating on God and going towards the Antichrist. The system that started in Babylon is still well and good. It's a system that continues and will be there in the end times. It'll find its ultimate uh, fulfillment in one world religion. Well, back to Revelations 11, it says here in verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building, and the Lord said, if, if as once people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. You know, language is so interesting. Science cannot explain how language started. They say apart from God, they, they, they say it's evolution. In other words, they don't know how and they don't know why. Yeah, language is so complex. I mean, it, it's a whole system. Modern linguists believe that all languages came from one central language. English, of course, right? See, God confounded the languages to keep people from unifying. And, and we're, we're getting close to being back to unification. We kind of talked about that a little bit with our, you know, internet and our phones and, we, you know, we can translate on the fly. It's pretty amazing uh, in one sense. But it's bringing everyone back to one language in a sense, a computer language, so that we can accomplish almost anything. And the history of man says that this is not good. There's a cry for unity. But what we need is a unity in God. See, Nimrod's real purpose was to present himself as God to be worshipped. He couldn't accomplish it, but he accomplished it through his son that his wife said was was conceived through a sun ray or something. Sounds like he wanted to be God. Who else is like this? Satan. Satan. Nimrod almost unified everyone, and God stopped it. Verse 7, it says, Come, let us, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from, all, you know, from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. This is why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. See, God confused the language, and he stops mankind's unity. Now we have mankind throwing satellites up into the heavens. And I'm not against NASA and all that kind of stuff. My father-in-law worked for NASA. My wife worked for NASA for a little bit and stuff. But, I mean, it's amazing what man can actually do. But we have instant communication practically everywhere in the world. Practically. New, new language is math, ones and zeros. Microchips are the, are the bricks and the mortars. Computers have taken the place of the tower. And nothing that we can think of can't be accomplished in a sense. We've talked about gene splitting, how we're, you know, splitting genes and, and not just taking genetic people from, uh, you know, genetic material from two people and producing a baby, but taking genetic people from, I mean, genetic... Uh, Uh, material from three people and making a baby out of it. (sighs) Is this what God wants? No. I'm not so sure about that. This is why I believe we're close to judgment. Same as the flood before. Everybody could do whatever they put their minds to and they were close to judgment. We, we see the signs. We just don't know when it's gonna happen. Next week, we're gonna start the, the journey with Abram. But I wanna, I wanna remind you of this and encourage you of this at the very end right now. We need to stay diligent. We need to stay sharp. We need to watch out for the falseness of this world getting into our homes, into our lives, into our jobs, and into our church. Lest we get pulled into it, right? Because that's where we're headed. We're going to see the difference between Lot and Abram. They came back from Egypt, which I'm not so sure that he should have been in Egypt. Uh, he left the Promised Land area that God never told him to leave. But they come back and cause them problems because they have too much. And Abram goes, well, you choose. And what did Lot do? Ooh, That, that, oh, like a kid in a candy store. I'll take that. It's like my son going to Legoland and going through the Legoland store. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. You know, that's Lot versus Abram going, you choose. We see the journey of faith start right there for Abram. So we have to watch, we have to be diligent because what that does for Lot, it takes him down. And God elevates Abram when he's humble and he trusts the Lord. Why don't you stand as we pray as the worship team comes and finishes us up today. And we're going to go out and have some finger foods and enjoy each other's company. I can tell you're really enthusiastic. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, there's so much to your scriptures when we start to understand truly what's in there. And I pray as we celebrate different holidays, as we celebrate your birth and and your resurrection, that we be mindful of of not bringing the world's thing into our lives. As we walk with you on a daily basis, as we walk with you on our job and on the roads and in our schools and our friendships and out having fun, that you be in the middle of all that. That we not let Satan corrupt our walk that when we sin, we come back to you and we ask for forgiveness, that we accept the consequence that may come down from that and that we turn from those ways and turn towards you because you are the prodigal father waiting for us to return. Lord, I pray that we take these scriptures to heart and treat them as precious. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you take Him with you this week as you go about your life here on this earth as we wait to go to Him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.